Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, May 7th. And oh, we've got such an interesting guest this weekend. I do fall in love with our guest, Mark. It's funny. I met this woman through my colleagues at CBS News. Um, her name is Anne Mukherjee. She is the chair and CEO of Pernod Ricard, which is the second largest spirits company in the world. Now, what's so wild about this is that, you know, we've talked to female CEOs before and we've said, oh, it's hard when you're in tech or it's hard to be a female CEO in business. This industry, I think she's the only one of a publicly traded company that's a woman. Isn't that amazing, Mark? So in this first part of the interview, we're going to talk about Anne's background and kind of what happened when she joined this company. It was like literally minutes after she joined the pandemic hit. So I was interested to learn what happens to you when you come into a big company like this and you're confronted with this huge, huge shift in the universe. So here's part one of our interview with Anne Mukherjee. So, Anne, welcome to the program. And I just would like to start with um, sort of understanding how you got to this position, because the first thing that I thought, oh, a CEO who's a woman, how nice. <laughs> then I started to read in on your story. And I have to be honest with you, um, being the female CEO is the least interesting fact about your life. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, Jill, like a lot of people were stunned um, when they heard that I was taking this role. Um, and a lot of it is stemmed from the fact that alcohol has had a very difficult role in my life. Um, I lost my mother to a drunk driver when I was 14 and she died at 36. Um, I've been sexually abused by people who've used alcohol as a weapon um, and people said, and so why are you going to go run an alcohol company? And Here's the simple reason. I know what it's like to be hurt by it. And I can either put my head into the sand and run away from it, or I can change it. And so I chose to walk into the fire. I took a seat at the table and I am loud and proud about changing this industry and really taking responsibility on head on. 
All right. Let's wind the clock back. You're born in India, right? What part of India? Kolkata, West Bengal. Tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life uh, before you moved to the United States. So tell us about like what, what who were you? Who were you as a kid? I, I mean, you're very plucky now as an adult, but you don't just <laughs> arrive there. So tell us a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, I mean, look, I I was, you know, typical middle class family in India. Uh, I was an only child. I had incredible parents and they wanted a better future for all of us and for me. And they made a really bold decision when I was five years old to immigrate to America. They were giving out visas to engineers and my father was an engineer. And so, you know, we came to this country in Chicago. We, we didn't have a lot of money. I, we, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I remember my first memory going to, you know, nursery school. My father's best friend had been shot the night before because they got mugged. I didn't grow up entitled. I don't, I don't, I don't really have a path. Um, we grew up as, you know, immigrants in America and we're Indians. So look, we believe in education. We believe in, you know, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And that's what we did. Um, and everything was going great until my mother was killed. And, you know, I went back to India, you know, uh, had to fit in back in a new culture that I knew nothing about. Mm. And again, it was education that really helped me come out of it. I went back to University of Chicago. It was interesting. I, I did a degree in economics, but I was so curious about what made people people. And I was trying to figure out not just what motivated them, but also what motivated them to do harm to people. You know, religion is a faith. And so I, I delved into it. I did comparative world religions, psychology of religions. It was a real awakening. Somehow that wired my brain, the right and the left side of my brain. And either I was going to be a TV evangelist or I was going to be a marketer. <laughs> well, wait a minute. As the only child of, of uh, middle class Indians, I thought the only choice was either to be an engineer or a doctor. doctor. <laughs> I thought that that was actually but you 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 somehow slipped into the world of marketing. I, I did. And, you know, when, especially when I was in the world of religion, my father was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, look, I I was supposed to be a neurosurgeon. But when my mother passed away and I went back to India, I just it was really hard. I lost my path. I lost my educational path. I was on this, you know, you know how it works. And I had to regroup. I had to rethink about my life. And, you know, I've always been a person that has never, never had a destination. I don't believe in destinations. Mm. I believe in the journey. Really, everything that I've done has kind of revealed itself to me. And that's kind of my, how my career has unfolded. It's interesting, though, because when you consider that, uh, I, I think a lot of people listening, especially parents and also younger people, feel like they have to have a path that is put out in front of them. Otherwise, why are they doing this? And you don't want to dither around and you don't want to waste money on an education you may or you may not need. You know, why is not having a path helpful to some of these people? So I'll tell you what it has been for me. And I talk to my children about it all the time, um, you know, who are in college today. Look. There are a lot of people that follow the rule book. This is the kind of school you should go to, the kind of college. And, you know, this is when you're done. Here's who you need to know. And he, look, I didn't have any of that. And here's the benefit it gave me. I didn't have any rules to bind me. I didn't know what I was doing. So I made up my own rules. And here's the thing. No one had any expectations of me. So as a result, you know, I had nothing to lose. I was always playing to win. Whereas I think people who feel like you've got to be at the perfect school, the perfect whatever, then you grow up thinking, oh, my God, 
I got to play not to lose. And so it just completely changes the way you orient yourself and how you go forward. I've done a lot of things in my career that when I think back on it, I'm like, God, that was a real risk, but it turned out okay. So that's kind of how I've always operated. And I hope others will help their children understand that too. So flashing forward here to today, you started as CEO of this second largest spirits company across the globe. Are you a drinker yourself, just out of curiosity? My husband and I, we are entertainers. We, we believe in spirits bringing people together. It was a part of our DNA anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we are, but we do it very responsibly. So you started when? You started before the pandemic. What was the actual start time? Was this December 2019? Is that right? Yes, exactly right. <laughs> you got some sense of timing, lady. Um, what was the what did you think in December of 2019? What did you think you were going to try to be doing besides? I mean, obviously, bringing this idea of responsibility to the idea of spirits in this in the world that you were living. But what else did you were, were sort of like, OK, this is what I got to do. What did you think you had to do in December of 2019? Yeah, look, I, my mandate was very clear, right? We are the second largest spirits company, not by far behind the number one spirits company in the world. So I was brought in to accelerate the U.S. business. The U.S. business is the largest business in all of Pernod Ricard. Actually, U.S. is kind of the largest market in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Global industry. And so I've had a track record that my track record, you know, what am I known for? What's my distinction? I'm a turnaround queen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I take companies from a supply mindset to a demand mindset. I know how to wire uh, businesses um, and the holistic business um, from supply and demand, you know, turn that around. I, I'm a transformation queen. So that's why I was brought in. And, you know, if we accelerate the United States, we've got a real shot at being the fastest growing company in the world. And so that was my mandate coming in. And then, you know, three months later, I was chained to my bedroom desk. (laughs) (laughs) And so, okay, the pandemic hits. What's your first thought around the business? Like, I mean, everyone had ideas about what they thought the was going to be the impact in March of 2020. So now tell us what your your thoughts and your fears were, and then what actually did happen for the business amid the pandemic? Yeah, so here's what I thought was gonna happen. I thought this is maybe a two month thing, two to three months, right? So I was like, okay, really cool. Let's take an opportunity out of this, right? And so I used that time to say, okay, guys, like no one's going to bars, no one's going to restaurants, so we don't have to spend in those channels. Let's take a step back and really review the business and really understand what drives it. What do we got to change? So we use those two or three months to really start thinking about that. And, and I started to teach the organization around this notion around adversity advantage, which I believe is the intersection of what are the things that truly matter and what is in our control, right? Everything else throw out the window because otherwise it's just wasted time. And so those three months kind of turned into ultimately two years. But here's the thing, boy, did we learn a lot about the dynamics of our category. Mm. Where were we strong? Where were we weak? It completely helped us retool the entire organization. And as a result, not only has our business performance been outstanding in these last two years, we've grown 17% in the last two years post-COVID. As we're coming out of it, we've got an incredibly strong business momentum behind our business. And 
people are seeing that, you know, they can now add impact in a way they never thought they could and they can do it responsibly. So where was the weakness when you said you have strengths? It's fun to talk about strengths. But where was the weakness? So here's the thing that I think most people don't realize, right? In the United States, when we saw in-home consumption really lift, right? And people started to do in-home cocktails. So we are a company that is really well-developed in restaurants and bars. We're very good at it, right? And so where we understood was now if we added a strength in off-premise, right? Which is the, the retail stores, et cetera, and really positioned our whole portfolio to take advantage of that, now we've got an and as a part of our strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the unlock came in. And what people don't realize is that's a big deal to change and go, you know, when you're in a three-tier system with distributors, that's a lot of change. But that's been a lot of the secret. We've put in a lot of predictive data analytics to help with go-to-market. And as a result, it's the power of the and has really helped us catapult our business. So, you know, you you now catapult this business. You want to do it responsibly. And there are a lot of stories about some big problems amid the pandemic where people were drinking more, people who were perhaps, you know, isolated and there was a lot of heightened anxiety. Uh, what is it that a company that profits from this idea of drinking more, what can you do to engender more responsibility around this? One of the things that we've seen, and a lot of this growth that you're seeing in the spirits industry is people are, we're seeing a a kind of a big shift. People are drinking less beer and wine. Um, They're drinking a lot of ready to drink, especially ready to drink cocktails. And what you'll see about those cocktails is they're lower ABV. People are being more conscious of the amount of alcohol that they're putting in their body. And then when it came to the spirits industry, what's really interesting is most of the growth came from premiumization. Hmm. So it was people buying, but they were buying more expensive or they were treating themselves because they couldn't go out. And so that's really been the shift in all of this. But because there was a lot of isolation, but because there were a lot of people, you know, kind of drinking to get through it, we were very careful in all our brand communications. I'll give you the first one. Absolutely. You know, we ran a program about sex responsibly as the as the pandemic hit, and that was all around this notion of consent. People who were using alcohol as a weapon to victimize people, we said very clearly, we don't want your business. And it's important for alcohol companies to come out and be directive about things like this. We went on to do things like love responsibly, like when you're coming out of the pandemic, do it safely. And everybody has different definitions of safety, right? Mix responsibly, which is all around how do you mix now that you're out of the pandemic? So I think brands today have to think about the culture that they're living in. And consumers are voting with their pocketbooks. They want to buy brands that they not just want to buy, but they want to buy into. They want to know what you stand for and what you stand against. And so it's smart business too. That's really, we are looking at how we're doing it. And we're looking at consumers' why and trying to speak to that why. So as we are now hopefully coming into this next new era, which is, um, I don't know, we're still in COVID, but it's not COVID scary, right? It's a little bit more like COVID normalization. How are you looking forward about how people go back into bars and restaurants, um, what the responsibilities are there? 
and what you feel like you need to do in terms of using your voice as a, a woman of color CEO trying to kind of battle it out in a business that I presume is is somewhat male dominated, right? Yeah, pretty much 98% male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, and I've made a lot of call to actions to the industry about diversity. Um, we at Pernod Ricard um, believe in conviviality, which is this notion of people coming together, you know, and sharing those magic moments, but in a safe way. Um, you know, we have started programs and we're going city by city. Uh, we did a huge kickoff in Dallas around um, safe nights and every person should feel safe to walk at night, to be in bars, not to feel like they have to look over their shoulders. Um, we're putting programs together with responsibility.org that really is about not only feeling safe, but also this notion of how do you educate your children? The more we communicate and talk about responsibility, you will engender that behavior, right? And so everything from, I, I, we go on about all these programs that we are, where I'm personally putting my you know, reputation behind and Pernod Ricard's values believe in that. And then on the other side with employees, it is hard. People are asking for flexibility. People who are of, of color and, you know, they don't feel safe. These last two years have been hard. It's been hard for even for my own children. We're, we're people of color. And so giving people flexibility, we have agile working. If you feel like you feel safer, you know, working from your computer, we support that, right? So we also support people feeling safe coming into the workplace. We've partnered with a company called Better Balance that allows every employee to understand what their personal issues are. And you get a personalized coaching, whether it's issues at home, issues about um, diversity problems you might be having, issues at the office. So being thoughtful about people, whether it's the people you serve, the people that work at your company, it's about humanizing how we lead. Okay, tomorrow we'll talk more with Anne about the spirits business and all the different things that are going on post-pandemic and plans they have. But if you have a question about your own financial life, all you need to do is go to our website, jillonmoney.com, click the Contact Us button, and of course, let us know if you would be willing to come on the air. While you're there, sign up for the free weekly newsletter and check out our other stuff. It's really good. We got a lot of content. It changes all the time. So check out jillonmoney.com for today, Saturday. Please put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.